Okay, we're beginning here, four lines down on the top of Nun Vedam and Aleph. The Gemara here has continued to discuss items that animals wear as to whether they're considered to be a Masui, they're committed to be something that they are carrying unnecessarily on Shabbat, or whether they are necessary for the animals, and therefore they're not a problem to have them wear them on Shabbat. And over here we introduce a new factor, which is Tana Debe Menashia, Ez Shekhakakla Ben Karneha. If you have a goat by which they carved either around its horns or maybe even through its horns that they had threaded reins in order to control the animal, Yotzab Afsar B'Shabbat. That animal can go out with the reins on Shabbat. So the Gemara assumption at this point is that the goat is a somewhat of a devious or feisty animal, and therefore it tries to release itself from the reins and generally might be successful because it has a very narrow neck or head and it can get itself untied or loosened away from the reins. Therefore, if you have it attached to the horns or threaded through the horns, there's nothing to discuss because then it's fully secure and the animal won't get it off. On the other hand, if it was tied around its neck, there for sure it would not be secure because the animal would be able to wriggle itself free from the reins, and there clearly it would be problematic. The question arises in the following scenario, which is, Bayirav Yosef, if you tied that around its beard, mahu, what would be the din? If the animal pulls hard on it, therefore it's going to hurt it, then the animal won't pull so hard on it because it's going to be too painful and therefore it will let it remain in place. Sometimes it loosens sufficiently, and it's going to fall away from the animal. And as Rashi explains over here, it is that he knots the beard of the animal on itself. So he ties a knot in the beard, which creates a loop, and then he puts the reins through that loop. So then will the goat be more subdued with regards to trying to shake off the reins, because every time it moves, it's going to pull on its beard and make it painful Therefore, it won't be as persistent in trying to release itself from the reins, and it will be successfully attached like that of the horns. Or maybe because the beard's nodding on itself, over time loosens naturally, therefore it's going to fall away because the animal will successfully release itself, not because it keeps attempting to do it, but just over time it loosens, and therefore it'll be able to release itself from the reins, and then you'll have the following problem. Then the owner is going to end up carrying this for Amot and the Rabim. This is a factor that actually shows up a lot more in the next parak with regards to jewelry and items that women wear. In that instance, there's a possibility that the person will either lose it, it will fall off, they'll be embarrassed about it, they'll take it off intentionally to show others, and that will cause them then to carry it in Rishut Rabim. So there are many things that are restricted to be worn, even though inherently they're not problematic, but because of the secondary effect, which is that you might end up carrying them in Rishut Rabim. This is also here now a factor with regards to the animals, that if whatever item you're using to control the animal is going to fall away from the animal, then you might end up carrying that item in the Rishut Rabim, and that'll be problematic. It's only interesting because why isn't the Gemara just sticking with the issues that we had dealt with until now, which is either it is a Shmira Yitera, or it is is an insufficient shmira, and therefore it's noy, and it's a decorative item. And that should be the problem here. Why does the Gemara introduce a third possibility as to what the problem is? So the Svatemet actually suggests over here that the feistiness of the goat makes it that the reins or the item that you tie onto them remains on them for a certain amount of time. And then after a period, it loosens away from the animal. When it's tight and when it's secure on the animal, then it's a fine shmira and it's not a problem to take it out. If it loosens away from the animal in a way that it's going to fall away, then it's not a problem of carrying because it's going to fall away from the animal. So in terms of the traditional issues, it's not a problem of noy because when it loosens up, it's just going to fall away. And in the time when it's tight, it's a sufficient shmirah. And therefore, it's not one of the traditional issues that we find with the behemoth. That's why the Gemara introduces another category of problem, which is the possibility that when it falls away, the Balim will carry it. The Marsha, on the other hand, suggests that an ace, in general, is a very domesticated animal, does not require Shmira, and therefore, putting on a reins or attaching reins to the animal is a Shmira Yitera. According to the one who says that Shmira Yitera is permissible, then why is there a problem over here? Like we saw previously from Hananya and others, is not problematic then it would seem that this should be just fine. And that's what the Gemara comes here to introduce. Even if you believe Shemira Yetera is okay, 
There's some times where the item is not secure enough on the animal that it creates an additional problem, which is that when it loosens away from the animal, it will then be carried in Rishut HaRabim. And that the Gemara leaves as a teiku, an unresolved issue, as to whether when it's tied to the beard, it is sufficiently secure for the animal to go out with it into Rishut HaRabim. So now the Gemara continues, Tanan HaTam, a Mishnah we're going to see in two dot from now, that a para which really doesn't require any tiruta, if it goes out with a string or something decorative between its horns, that, that is problematic. And that's what the Gemara here is discussing. It can't have a string between its horns. Rav and Shmuel argue about what exactly is the issue here with a string strung between the horns of a para. One of them, doesn't matter if it's decorative and it's a problem because of tachshitim with regards to an animal, which are problematic because that's considered to be additional burden that's unnecessary for the animal, it's for the Baalim, and given that, it's considered to be carrying for the animal on Shabbat, and is a violation, as we saw before in the Mishnah, of a Shvitat Behemto Bishabbat, and if it's done for Shmirah, and over here, that's because it's unnecessary, the Shmirah by a para para in general, is a very tame animal, does not require a Shmirah, and therefore this would be classified as a Shmirah Yuteira, and a sore. They're of the belief that a Shmirah Yuteira is problematic. The other opinion is that if it's decorative, then it's problematic. But if it's there for Shmirah and just provides ex- excess or improved Shmirah of the animal, even though it's unnecessary, that'd be mutar, similar to what we saw from Hananya before. Amarav Yosef, tistaim de Shmuel ho. Yosef says, let us conclude that Shmuel is of the opinion mutar, who says that noy, decorative items, are problematic, whereas if it's done for Shmirah, even it's Shmirah yitera, that it's fine. The Amar of Huna Barchia, we saw on yesterday's daf, the Rav Huna Barchia, Amar Shmuel, says in the name of Shmuel, Halacha ke Hananya. Halacha is like Hananya, and we saw from Hananya before that Hananya is of the belief that Shmir Yeteira is permissible. Amar Le'abaye Adarabo. Just come to the opposite conclusion. Abaye Rav Yosef's Talmud says that we have another Memra from Shmuel. Tistaim de Shmuel Hudamar, Ben the Noi, Ben the Shamer Asur. Let us conclude that he's the one who thinks that both are problematic, both the decorative side and the Shmir Yeteira. Damar of Yudamar Shmuel. So, so again, from yesterday's daf, that machlifim lifnei rabbi, shozo bezo. When they were presenting the Mishnah before rabbi, they used to switch around the items and the animals and say, mahu, what is the din? So we saw in the Gemara that was speaking about switching around the camel, the nakab, instead putting a nakab with an afsar and a gamal with a chatam. What's the din there? Amar lefanav, Rabbi Shmob Rabbi Yossi, so Rabbi Shmob Rabbi Yossi, who was learning before rabbi, says, kachamarabo. My father, Rabbi Yossi, said, There are four animals that can go out with reins, or a halter, a sus, a horse, a pered, a mule, and a camel, and a donkey. So why does it only enumerate these four animals? Doesn't it come to exclude the case of a camel that goes out with a nose ring in it, which would be excessive type of shmirah in general for a camel? And that's why the gamal is mentioned there in the enumeration of the four that a reins are sufficient is to tell you that something that is more than necessary is not okay, is problematic on Shabbat. So if Shmuel is the one who presented this memra of Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Yossi before Rabbi, sounds like he believes that a gamal with the Yashmir Yitera is problematic. Now, the Gemara says, Samiha Mikamiha. You have two memrot of Shmuel, and one of them is maybe not the binion of Shmuel because of the fact that we have Shmuel saying Shmir Yitera is okay, and now we have Shmuel saying Shmir Yitera is problematic. Umay chazit misamit ha Mikamiha. So Gemara says, how do you know which one to drop? You're dropping the one where he's quoting Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yossi speaking to Rabbi, where it seems to indicate Shmir Yatira is problematic, and the other member where he paskins like Hananiah as being his view, why don't you say ha sami ha mikami ha? Why don't you say just the opposite, or come to the opposite conclusion that the one that says Allah is Hananiah is improper or invalid, and the one with the story with Rabbi is a more valid story. So Gemara says, of Chibashi Amar Rav, Ben Lenoi, Ben Lishmor Asur. Reb Chia Ba'avin Amar, Shmuel Lenoi Asur, Lishamer Mutar. Because we have another memra from Chia Ba'ashi that tells us that these are the opinions of Rav and Shmuel. Before we had it brought anonymously as Chad and Chad, one said this, one said that, here we have attribution of the opinion of the decorative and the Shmirai aspect being Asur according to Rav. 
And we have Rabbi Chir Rabin saying in the name of Shmuel that Noy is problematic, whereas the Shamer or Shmir Yatira is Mutar. So here we have a corroborating opinion that the Memra that says Shmuel Paskan Lechananya is the opinion of Shmuel. And therefore we have these two against the one where he spoke about Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yossi speaking to Rabbi, and therefore we're going to favor this view in Shmuel. Now, as the Baal Yatosipo point out, the Gemara rejected this diuk in the previous Gemara. And so Tosfot is somewhat perplexed as to why the Gemara even has a question from that, because it sounds like in the previous Gemara, in yesterday's daf, that after the Gemara made the suggestion that that was the diuk, the Gemara says, Dilmalo, maybe that's not a proper diuk, but rather to come exclude a na'aka, a female camel or a very wild camel, be'afsar, that simply has reins, and that's what it was coming to exclude, that that is a failure. Those all it says, that sounded like it was all from Shmuel. If you did that, then everything would reconcile over here, and Shmuel's din would be that Shmir Yatera is not a problem. How come the Gemara does not bring that second half of the Memra? Either you have to say that the Gemara here is now rejecting the remainder of that statement that undoes the Diuk, and saying that the first Diuk was correct, or you have to suggest that the previous Gemara was Stama the Gemara. It wasn't Shmuel saying that, but rather the Gemara making that suggestion that maybe the diok is incorrect, but the diok was Shmuel's diok, and the remainder of the Gemara is from the Gemara itself, and that's why this would have been a problem for Shmuel. And then, in the end, we have to reconcile between the Memro. So what seems from the Pashtun of Gemara is that we reject that statement of Shmuel about the story of Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Yossi, asking Rabbi that Shmir Yatera is problematic. And we accept the other two cases, or Memrot, of Shmuel, where he says Shmir Yatera is fine on Shabbat. The Balamor, interestingly enough, over here, reconciles the two positions of Shmuel by saying that they're speaking about different situations. And that is that there are two types of Shmira Yitera. There is a Gamal Bechatam, that you have a Gamal that has a nose ring on it, which is a excessive type of Shmira that nobody would do. And in that situation, that is considered to be so excessive that it is problematic in terms of a Shmira Yitera. There's other Shmira Yatera, like putting a collar around a chatul, or other instances that we spoke about yesterday, that Hananiah Paskins are okay. That's a type of Shmira Yatera that is more than normal, but some people do it, and that would be considered to be okay. The Balamor does that to reconcile the two positions of Shmuel, even though that seems to go against the Pashtuta Gemara here, that they're rejecting that position of Shmuel. And the Ramban, Mechumot Hashem, criticizes the Balamor for saying the Gemara is not saying that. The Gemara is not suggesting that there's two types of Shmirah, but rather saying that that position of Shmuel is negated. In addition, the Gemara always seems to connect that question of Gamal Bechatam to the Machloket of Hananiah and the Chachamim. If Shmuel is passing like Hananiah, that means with regards to Gamal Bechatam, he's also passing that way. It's not a separate or differentiated case. And even though the Balamor is not accepted necessarily within the position of this Gemara, the Tosafot on the previous Amud actually made a similar statement at the end of the Tosafot Divri Amatkel O, where he says, It's not considered to be excessive or extra Shmirah, because it's a normal thing to do, and therefore it's not considered Masui. So Tosafot, just from a logical standpoint, says, that something's not called Shmir Yatera if some people do it. Or there is a percentage of people that watch the animal that way. How significant that percentage has to be is obviously debatable. But those what opens up that possibility that there is room to suggest that something's not Shmir Yatera if people take up that option. It's only if people are doing something that is beyond the normal or beyond the pale that that's considered to be Shmira Yatera. Now Gemara asks, Meitave kishara ba'aleha b'moserah. If the owners tied up the para aduma with reins or with the halter, kishara, it's not considered to be a disqualifying event for the para aduma, even though, as we know, a para aduma can't have any work done with it. Visakadatcha masuyu. If you believe that putting reins on a para is considered to be excessive type of shmira then it is a Masui, the Gabay Shabbat, and therefore it should also be a failure with regards to Paraduma, because it would asher lo aleh aleha o, amai rachmana. That's what the Torah says. There's a requirement that no yoke be placed on a Paraduma, meaning it may not do any work, it may not carry anything. Amar Abaye, Abaye says that there are times where a para does require rains, or does require shmirah, 
even though in its normal state it does not. That is, bimolichami ear the ear. It's in a case where he's traveling from city to city. A cow likes to go back to its grazing grounds, likes to go back home. And if it's there, you don't have to worry about the Shmirah. But if you take it from city to city, it's going to gravitate to go back to its natural habitat. There you might need rains in order to move it along or to protect it. Rav Amar, Shani Yikarim. That the para duma is exceptional because of its tremendous value. And therefore, even though maybe a para in general you would not watch, because in all likelihood they're not going to be a problem, and given that they're not so expensive, you're not going to put the extra effort in to put reins on them. But when it comes to para duma, where this is worth the fortune, you're going to make sure to keep it and take care of it. Therefore, you would put reins on in order to manage it. Ravina Amar It's an animal that is excessively problematic, similar to what we ended off yesterday's daf with, which was chamor. Shasakav ra'im, a chamor who's badly behaved. And the question is, if you believe that shmir yatera is problematic, when you have a badly behaved animal, does that then permit you to put Shmirah on them, even though this is normally considered to be excessive? And there are poskim of both sides of that with regards to Asakav Ra'im. And some of them even distinguish between Asakav Ra'im, which is somewhat problematic, and Moredit, which is extremely difficult. But those three items would then make it that this is an exceptional case where we would allow the reins to be put on and not considered to be a masui, whereas normally it would be considered to be a masui and you can't prove anything from the para aduma. Tosva points out that the Gemara's question seems a little strange because we do have a Tana that believes that Shmir Yatera is not problematic. So why not just say that the Mishnah from Para is authored by Hananya? The Sfat Emet makes a suggestion over here that that is because that's a Stam Mishnah in Para. And the question of the Gemara is, how could you not paskin like a Stam Mishnah? And that's why they brought it as a question here with regards to Shmir Yatira. And then he goes on to explain that maybe the Gemara's question really revolves around the nature of Shmir Yatira, or having excessive Shmir It's one thing that if an animal requires Shmir and then you put on more than necessary Shmir because subsumed in the greater Shmirah is the proper Shmirah for an animal. And therefore, maybe Shmirah Yetirah in that instance would be fine. On the other hand, if you're speaking about a para that has no requirement for Shmirah, and therefore it's not Orchayu, and it's by definition Noi, then a Shmirah Yetirah over there can't possibly be something that would be permitted, because there's no Shmirah Pchuta that is subsumed in it, because it's not necessary any Shmirah at all. And that was the question of the Gemara, it's trying to understand how it could be that if the heter of Shmirah Yitera derives from that it's Shmirah Pchuta, a lower Shmirah plus, then over here by the para Aduma, why should it be permitted at all? And so then all the answers that are given here are saying that this animal does require a Shmirah, and therefore it would be permitted. And therefore, in conclusion, you would actually distinguish between Shmirah Yitera, like a Gamal B'chatam, where it would be permissible, and the case of the para would be impermissible unless you have a special dispensation. So that'd be one view amongst the Rishonim, and that might be the nature of the Gemara's question over here. Or there's another possibility, which is that Shmir Yetirah, even if there is no requirement of Shmirah, is always considered to be the benefit of the animal, and therefore even by a para, it would be considered Shmirah. And in that case, the Shmirah of the para, or Shmir Yetirah by the para, would be no different then regular Shmirah by a Gamal with a Chatam. Because whenever you have Shmirah Yetirah, it's for the benefit of the animal, even if the animal doesn't require it at all. In that instance, then these cases would be parallel. And therefore, if you believe the Shmirah Yetirah would be allowed by the Gamal, by the Chatam, you'd also allow it by a Para. And the reasons given here are according to the one who believes that Shmirah Yetirah is impermissible. And now the Gemara is saying, even according to that individual, in this case, they were necessary and that's why it's giving you reasons for why here it would be permissible. And so the conclusion you would draw from here is that anything that's considered to be normal, or people would normally would do it in these situations, that is not a problem of Shmirah Yeterah, even though maybe it's excessive or more than what this animal would carry in general. So that some of the Rishonim conclude from here, the Bali Tosafot back at the top of the Amud actually say that from a logical standpoint, which is, even though they believe that the locha is like Rav, that Shmir Yitera is a sur. Nevertheless, if it's Orchei Bahachi, if this is the normal way for the animal to go out, even though it's excessive or not absolutely necessary, it still is considered to be okay. 
And so therefore, many of the Rishonim come to the conclusion that Shmira Yetera, that is problematic. If you believe it is problematic, it's only something that's number one, not Orchei Bahachi. It's not the normal way, or people in general don't do this, or at least a percentage of people don't do this, but otherwise it would be permissible, or where there's special dispensations or needs for the animal, that maybe in that case people would normally do this, or take care of it that way, and therefore even if it is Shmira Yetera, it's not considered to be a Masui for the animal, Therefore, it would be permissible. So now the Gemara continues with the Mishnah that the Mishnah says that the sus goes out b'shir, v'chol bale shir, and any animal that carries a shir, yotzim b'shir. As Rash explained back on the Mishnah, this is speaking about a collar or something wrapped around the neck of the animal. So now the Gemara says, my yotzim, umay nim shachim. The Mishnah says that all these animals are yotzim b'shir, they're allowed to go out with it, and they are pulled by it. So Amar Avuna, Ravuna says there are actually two things being said in the Mishnah. O yotzim kuchim, you can take the reins that are around the animal, the collar that's around the animal, and wrap it around a number of times. Rashi says, even to the point where it's noi. It's simply decorative in nature, because orchayu, because that's a normal way to go out. And since that's a normal way to go out, even though it's decorative, it's not considered to be a masui. O nimshachim. Or you can leave the reins extended, and you can pull them by the ropes or the reins that are attached to the collar around the animal. So the collar around the animal has reins coming out of it. Either you wrap the reins around the collar to make it an additional part of the collar, or you use it to pull the animal. Both of those would be permissible on Shabbat, according to Rav Huna. Shmuel Amar, Yotzim Nimshachim. You can use it to pull the animal, that's fine. Then Yotzim Kuchim, but you can't use it wrapped around the neck of the animal, because any time it is decorative in nature, that's not considered to be Orchayu, that's not considered to be the normal way. The body of Tosafot are perplexed by Rashi's explanation, because the Gemara before seemed to indicate that, according to everyone, Rav Shmuel, Noi is never a consideration, meaning Noi is problematic no matter what. So how can Rashi make a claim here? All of a sudden we have an opinion of Huna that goes against all of those opinions before and suggests now that Noi is permissible. And therefore he says, Arab Purat explained that Ravuna. This is what Ravuna believes, that there is a Shmira Yeterta that is associated when you wrap the collar around the animal a number of times. Because if the animal wants to run away, you can grab that collar, but that thicker collar that's made up not just of the collar, but the reins that are wrapped around, and therefore it is a part of the shmirah of the animal. And Shmuel thinks that that's not necessary. The collar is sufficient. You can grab the animal by collar. You don't need the reins to be wrapped around to make it something thicker or better to grab the animal by. And in that sense, it would be a machloket as to whether wrapping the reins around the animal is considered to be a shmiriyatera, or is it considered to be unnecessary masui for the animal? And that's the way Tosafot frames the disagreement between Ravuna and Shmuel. But mitnita tano, we have a brighter that says, yotzim kuchim limashech. They can go out wrapped around in order to pull them. So the Brayta seems to say that you can't leave them wrapped around the neck, but only with enough space by which you can get your hand underneath them. Or as Rashi says, over here, you leave a little bit of the reins unraveled from it, so that it wants to turn away, you can grab that piece that is sticking out in order to tame it or bring it back under control. And if that's the case, it sounds like the Brayta is against what Ravuna said. It's not exactly what Shmuel said either. And this opinion in the Bright is actually a opinion that's almost a compromise between Ravuna and Shmuel. So it's somewhere in between them. That's because of Rashi's surprising position with regards to Ravuna, that that which is for Noi, that which is decorative, is considered to be fine for the animal to go out with. And therefore the Bright uh, brings this position, which is not exactly like Ravuna, that if it's for Noi, it's okay, but it's primarily for Noi, but has utility in terms of taming the animal, that would be allowed. According to the Baliyat Tosafot, then both Ravuna and Shmuel can fit into the Mishnah, which is, what does it mean, Kuchim Limashech? And Ravuna will explain that Kuchim Limashech is like what Tosafot said before, that the wrapping of the reins around leaves space for you to grab it, and that's what it means. The Braita is saying exactly what Ravuna's opinion was, which is that you can wrap it in a way that you can grab it. And Shmuel will explain the Braita, that it's wrapped around with something left over, extended out from it, which means it's being used like reins, and that's why it's okay. So according to the way the Bayatosvot explain it, it would seem that the Braita is supportive of both of their positions, because each one of them can explain it with Shitato. Because Ravuna Uride Kuchim Limashech means that they are completely wrapped around, but has the functionality like a reins, 
or a shmuel will say kruchim is only in a case where there is bimashech. There's some piece left over that you can yank it with or pull it with. Summer of Yosef, Chazin I saw the calves of the house of Ravuna or the estate of Ravuna. They went out with their reins wrapped around their necks on Shabbat, meaning that this is Ravuna, the Shitato, that you're allowed to have the reins completely wrapped around their necks. Although Tosavot at the top of the Amud makes a suggestion that even according to the one who says that Shmira Yitera is impermissible, over here it would be permissible because Agalim are difficult to manage, and therefore they are similar to a Moredet. If that's the case, then this might be slightly different, a normal case of a para, where you can't wrap it around because of the fact that they are moredet. Now, it still might be Ravuna the Shitato because he thinks that Kruchim provides an aspect of Shmira, even though there's nothing left of the reins that is sticking out. Kiata Ravdimi Amar Rabbi Chanina Molot Shobet Rabbi, the mules of the house of Rabbi, Yotzot Ba'afsarayam B'Shabbat. They also go out with their reins on Shabbat. What exactly was the situation? Are they kuchim, like those of Rav Huna, wrapped around their necks? Or nimshachim, or were they extended like Shmuel? Tashma, kiata Rav Shmuel bar Yehuda, am Rabbi Chanino. So you have another Mesora from Rav Shmuel bar Yehuda in the name of Rav Chanino, Mo'od Shorbeid Rabbi Yotzot Barafsarem, kuchim b'Shabbat. Similar to Rav Huna, they're wrapped around the necks of the animals. So Amrua Rabbanan Kameh de Rav Asi. So Rabbanan told over this whole memra to Rav Asi, and they noted, Had Rav Shmuel bar Yehuda lo tzricha. We don't need this additional memra from Shmuel bar Yehuda, midrav dimi nafka. We could have learned it straight out from Rav Dimi, the original Mesorah, that there has no definition as to what happened in Beit Rabbi. If Rav Dimi is telling you that there was still rain sticking out from the animal, and that's why he's coming to tell you about the story of Rabbi, midrav Yehuda mashmuel nafka. That you already know from Rav Yehuda mashmuel, dam Rav Yehuda mashmuel, from yesterday's daf, they changed around what the animals were wearing. Those were the cases in the Mishnah. They changed around the items. What's the din? And Rabbi Yossi answered, This is what my father Rabbi Yossi said. Only four animals that can go out with reins or a halter, a sus, a parrot, a gamal, and a chamor. And therefore, we already know from there that a parrot is allowed to go out with reins on it that are sticking out. So if I know that information already, why does Rav Dimi now come to have to tell me that the mules of Beit Rabbi were going out with their reins that had sticking out that you could pull on them because that was already a memory we knew from Shmuel. So Ravasi, so Ravasi responded to their Abonan and said, it's Trichluchu. That's not true. We still need Rav Dimi. If you learned that of Rav Yehuda, the memory we saw yesterday from Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yossi, Meaning Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yossi presents this as the position of his father Rabbi Yossi, but who says that Rabbi accepted that position? So Kamash Malon, that's what Rav Dimi comes to tell us, that he did accept that position, and you're allowed to use reins on a mule. But if you only had the member of Rav Dimi, that's only true if the reins are still sticking out, and you can pull the reins, that would be considered to be a Shmira or a reasonable thing to have on the animal. But Kruchim, if it was wrapped around the neck solely, lo, that would not be okay, because that would either, according to Rashi, be considered to be Noi, or according to the Balya Tosafot, that would not be considered to be Shmira anymore. Kamash Malan, the Rav Shmuel Bar Yehuda. So that's where Rav Shmuel Bar Yehuda comes to teach us, that even Kruchim are considered to be okay in the case of Rabbi. That's either because they present some form of Shmira, according to the Balya Tosafot, according to Rashi, that even though they're noy, they're still considered to be okay in this instance because orche behochi. That's a normal way for the animal to go out. Now the Gemara discusses the last part of the Mishnah, which is the fact that mazin alehem bimkoman, that you can't sprinkle on them when they become tamate tumatamate. You can leave them on the animal, these collars, and be mitahir them. And also tovlim bimkoman. You can leave them on their neck and put them into the mitveh or take them through the river and have them become tohorim even though you never detached them from the animal. So Mara wants to say, the memra kibule tuma ninu. There's an underlying assumption here that the collars of the animals could be mikabel tuma. Vatnan, don't we have a Mishnah in Kelim that seems to indicate otherwise? Tabat adam tmeya. When it comes to rings, 
Tachshitim, jewelry of human beings, they are able to be mekabel tumah. Rashi claims the source of that from Midian. And when it comes to Midian, it mentions in part of the booty or the spoils that they bring back. Etzadat, Samid. These are pieces of jewelry, and they had to be made tahor. And so you see that since these items were jewelry and had made tahor, man's jewelry or decorative things for man are mikabel tumah. There are many Rishonim that question Rashi's proof because the Etzadat, Samid, are part of the things that were dedicated to the Mikdash. They're not necessarily mentioned in the list of items that were made to whore by Clay Midian. So there are those, like Tosavot and Daf Samach Gimom and Bet, who suggest that the fact that it mentions in the Torah by Midian, Kol Kli that any item that is of utility, that that includes Tachshitim, even though they're not mentioned explicitly by Midian. Well, there's other Mepharshim Mishnah in Kelim, make the suggestion based on the Sifrei, that it says, that the word kol is a riboy, and the kol comes to include tachshitim, and that's how we know that tachshitim are included. But when it comes to rings of animals, meaning collars or other things that are put on animals, or rings that are used for handles or part of utensils, like the ones that are made for doors or handles on the doors, the sharkola tabot, any other ring to horot. They are not considered to be problematic. And that's because Rashi says, they're not takshitim, they're not jewelry. That is because there's no such thing as jewelry for a kli. And it's not a kli itself, because it is something that's secondary, or only a takshit for the kli, and so therefore it's not a standalone kli. Now as Rashi points out, if the core kli becomes tamay, it will become tamay, or if it becomes tamay, the core kli will become tamay, because it acts as a yad for it. But if they are on an item like a beima where the animal is not mikabel tumah because it is alive, then why would it be that the ring that's around the animal will be mikabel tumah? That is because none of those have a din of tumah because they're not takshit adam. So Gemara says, They were originally a ring or jewelry for an individual, for man, and then they were transferred over to the behemah. And so therefore Rashi claims that they became tamay while they were still being used by the people, and then for they were transferred over to Behemah, they retained their Tumah. Tosafot says that was unnecessary, because as long as it remains a Takshit Adam, and was moved to the Behemah, and the shame of Takshit Adam was never removed from it, then that's enough that even if it becomes to me later, while it's on the Behemah, it would still be Mikabel Tumah. Rav Yosef Amar, Hov Adam Mushech Bahem et Since people use them to pull the animal with the collar, either by attaching reins or by using their hand to pull it, then it's considered to be Tashmish Adam. And anything that's functioning for the purpose of Adam is Mikabel Tumah. So in order to be Mikabel Tumah, according to this, there's one of two possibilities. Either you have to be decorative, a Takshit jewelry of an individual, or you have to be in service of the individual. Then they do have a din of tachshit or kli, and they are mikabel tumah. And the Gemara says, Tanya, don't we have a brighter that's supportive of this view of Rav Yosef, that makel shel beima shel matechet, if you have a prod that has a metal tip to it, or made out of metal, to prod the animal, mikabel tumah. It is mikabel tumah because pshute kli matechet. Even flat metal objects are mekabel tumah. On the other hand, if it was made from wood, it would be pshute kliates, and pshute kliates don't have a bait kibul, don't have a receptacle in them when they're made of wood, are not mekabel tumah. So that's why it has to be metallic. Matam. What's the reason it's mekabel tumah? It's a prod, and it's used for the animals. The reason is, because people or human beings use them as a prod or a guide for the animals, and therefore it's in service of man, even though it's used on the animal, Nevertheless, because it's in service of man, it's considered to be a kli tashmish of Adam, and that's why it's mekabel tumah hachanami. So to in our case, hold Adam moshech ben, since a person pulls by the collar, that's sufficient reason for it to be mekabel tumah, because it's in service of man. And that's why it has to be something that's used by an individual, it's mishamesh Adam, and that's why it's mekabel tumah. Now the Gemara finishes off with the last piece in the Mishnah, tovlan bim koman, you can put him into the mikveh with the collars still on the animal. What about the problem that there's something blocking the water from getting in? Rashi claims the chatzitza problem is that the ring that is on the collar, the collar is circular around the neck, then there's a hole in that collar to which a ring is attached. That ring is then what you attach the range to when you pull the animal. 
that ring that is inside of the collar is jammed in there tightly and doesn't have a lot of give to it, and therefore the water can't get in to be mitaheret. So isn't that a problem? The Baliatosafot, in support of Rashi's contention, suggests that it has to be a case where you take off the ring sometimes from the collar, because if the ring was permanently attached to the collar, then it would be considered a single unit of a clean. You wouldn't need water to get in between them. So it must be a case where you sometimes take off this smaller ring that's embedded in the collar, or he brings from the Rav Porat that maybe the problem of chatzitza here is not the little loop or ring that is in the collar, but the collar itself around the animal might be too tight to allow water to get in there. And so why isn't there a problem of chatzitza? So Rabbi Ami says, Bishirit Khan, it's a case where he pounded them down. So either where it's a small ring that's inside the collar, by thinning it out, pounding it down, it has more give inside of the hole that it's fixed into, and therefore the water can get in there. Or if it's speaking about the collar around the animal, then by flattening it out, it has more give around the neck of the animal because it's not so tight when it's flat, and therefore water can get in there. So Lema Rabbi Ami Karav Yosef Severele. Let us say that Rabbi Ami probably holds like Rabbi Yosef in the previous Gemara, who said that since it's for human usage, that's what makes it Tamei. Because the either Rabbi Yitzchak, and the Ozak Rabbi Yitzchak, the Mar Bevayim Inor Adam, the Noi that it was originally a Kli Adam that was then converted into a Kli Beima, came in the Ritkan Avad Then if you pound them down, you've taken action. Uparchala Tumaminayu. And that should remove the Tumah from them. Ditnan. This is a Mishnah that's brought throughout Shas with regards to Tumah. Kol HaKelim Yordim Lidei Tumatan B'Machshava. With simple thought, you can change or convert an item into be a completed product. And they've already been Mechabal Tumah. One of the requirements with regards to Kelim to be Mechabal Tumah is the fact that it has to reach the point of Gemar Melacha. It has to reach the final state of which this Kli will be in. Sometimes there are interim stages along the way where something could be its final stage, or you can continue to process it. For instance, hides. You could use it as a throw or a couch or something to sit on, and that would then stop the process at that point, and it would be gemar malacha and it would be mikabel tumah. Or you could continue to process the hide to make it into a shoe, to cut it into leather strips. You might have some other things to do. So if you're continuing or plan on continuing to work with it, then you don't have Gemar Balacha, it's not Mechabal Tumah. So what the Mishnah says is that if at any point you have a thought that you want to stop now and make it into a throw, that's sufficient grounds to make it into a Gemar Malacha, and it will be Mechabal Tumah. That's as far as opening it up to the possibility of receiving Tumah. Once it is Tameh, or once it has the capacity to be Mechabal Tumah, to take that away, to ruin it as a Kli, that's not sufficient to think, oh, I don't want to use it as a throw anymore, I'm going to use it for shoes, I'm going to use it for something else, that's not sufficient. You must take action to do that, you must use an action to undermine its status as a Kli, or as something that has the capacity to Mechabal Tumah. So if that's the case here, if you're banging them down, then you're taking action on the Kli. And if you were transferring it from being jewelry of a person to use by Bema, and you took physical action on it, then you've changed the character of the item, and it should be that it's no longer Mikabal Tumah. So it must be that Rabbiami's position is following that position of Yosef that says the reason that the collar is Mikabal Tumah is because it's in service of man, and not like Rabbi Yitzchak who says that it was originally a Takshit Adam. So had it been originally a Takshit Adam, and you pounded it down and converted it into a Behemah's collar, then it should no longer be Mechabal Tumah. It says, maybe not. There is a opinion that differs from this Mishnah slightly, which is, Savalaki Rabbi Yehuda. He holds like Rabbi like Rabbi Yehuda, Damar Maseh L'takein, Lav Maseh. If you take an action that actually is constructive in nature, that is not considered enough of a reason to take away the shame cleave from this item, or its capacity to be Mechabal Tumah. Tatanya, Rabbi Yehuda Omer, lo amar shinoi maseh letakein, ila lekalkel. You can't have a shinoi maseh that improves the item, or makes it more functional. It has to be something that takes away from the function, or is destructive in nature, in order for it to be that it's no longer in the state of gemar malacha. So, for instance, by the throw, once you start to cut it into strips, it's no longer valuable as a throw, because you're cutting it. That cutting is destructive, Vis-a-vis the throw, it's constructive for a further stage later on, but that means you've now undermined the Gemar Malacha. But over here, where you're taking jewelry of a man, 
and then pounding it down so that it's more functional to use as a beima, you've actually done something that doesn't ruin it, but actually makes it into a better kli to be used maybe in other situations. In that case, it's not destructive in nature. It doesn't undermine its original standing. If that's the case, it would not change it. And maybe even Rabbi Ami could hold, like Rabbi Yitzchak, if he subscribes to this view of Rabbi Yehuda. And he would have to say that the flattening out of the item, while it makes it more useful or possibly useful for the animal now, it does not ruin its use for Adam. Or the other hand, Rav Razovsky makes a suggestion, and that is exactly the machlok between the Rabbana and Rabbi Yehuda over here, which is that in order to have a kli that's already tamay lose its shame kli, is it enough that you've changed its usage or utility? and that it's already mevatalit from its original state of kli, and that would be tahor, which would be the view of the Rabbonon, because you did a maiseh, that's enough. Whereas Rabbi Yehuda believes that changing it to another utility is sufficient grounds if you want to speak about it in a kli that does not yet mikabel tumah, that now you've changed the, changed the status of the kli to no longer be mikabel tumah. But on the other hand, if it's already tamay, that's not a sufficient destructive quality to take away the shame kli from it. And that's why there's two different types of shinuim according to Rabbi Yehuda. There's a shinoi that is mevatel the kli, that ruins the state of the kli, that it's no longer tamay. There's also a shinoi that changes the utility of the kli, that it won't accept tumah in the future. So yes, changing it from Adam to Beima might be sufficient, so that heretofore, prospectively, it will not be mikabel tumah, but if it's already tamay, it's not a sufficient destructive quality that it's no longer called a kli, and therefore it's constructive in nature, or constructive enough in nature, that it doesn't lose its shame kli. Whereas the chamim say, if you change the utility, it's a new kli, you destroyed the old kli, and there's no longer any tumah there. And that would be their machloket, and that would also explain why Rashi believes it had to be tamay already, by the t- case where the Adam wore it, because the problem that Rabbi Yehuda raises over here is only problematic when it's already tamay. If it's not tamay already it won't be mikabel tumah anymore once you've taken that action to change the utility of the item. So, but Tano, in a bright thought, they gave the answer that it's bimichulalim. It's a case where they are hollow, which would be the terminology here, but it means that either, according to Rashi's explanation, in the collar, the hole that the ring is placed in is very wide, and therefore there's a lot of give or room for the ring that's in it to move around, and then it's not a problem. According to the way that the Baliatosafot explained it, it is that the collar around the animal is very loose or hollow or allows for water to get in there. And that's why it wasn't problematic with regards to a chatzitza. So he had a student that came from the upper Galilee that asked Rabbi Lazar the following, I heard there was a distinction between one type of ring and another type of ring. Now, he's saying, I remember a portion of a memra or a portion of a distinction, but I don't know the relevance of that distinction. So, Sounds like you're talking about Shabbat, where there's a distinction between different types of rings. Dilian Tumah, because if you're speaking about issues of Tumah, Davadah there's no distinction between different types of rings. I says, is that really true? Dilian Tumah, Davadah is that true? There's no distinction between different types of rings when it comes to Tumah? Vatanan. We just had a Mishnah that we just quoted before from Kelim that Tabatadam Tmeya. When it comes to a ring or jewelry of a person, that is Mikabal Tumah. Tabat Beimah When it comes to rings, collars for animals, or rings or handles for Kelim, or rings that are used for doors or windows, all those are tehorot. So there is a distinction even in the world of Tumah. He was saying that this student was saying that within rings of individuals, of human beings, there is a distinction. And to that, Rabbi Elazar said, within the world of Tumah, there's no distinction between types of rings for people. Mar says, is that really true? Is it really true that all rings of individuals are the same? Don't we have a brighter? Tabat shitkina lach gorba, the gorba matnav. He made a loop with which to belt his loins with some sort of either it was a way to gird around or a belt that used an eyelet or a ring of some sort to make it that you could close the belt. Or it was a way to close the tunic at the top by the collar that you had a ring that you tied together to close it after you pulled it over your top. Rashi says it was a way to hold on the sleeves of the tunic. Tehorah. 
That's Torah. And as Rashi notes over here, this Tabat is different than the collar of the Tabat and the animal, where we said that it's made Lashimu Shadam, and therefore it is Mikabal Tumah. Here on the clothing, you have to say that it's made for the shimush of the clothing, and that's why it's not classified as, as something that can be Mikabal Tumah, because it's simply functioning in a static state to hold the Begit together. He doesn't work with it, he doesn't touch it, it just used there to hold the Begit together. But in that case, as Rashi notes, if the Ritzuah, the string that's wrapped around it or tied to it becomes tmeas, so would the ring, because they function together. On the other hand, Rashiya does suggest maybe even it's a case where the ring is not attached to the beggar at all, and it's a standalone item. And in addition, Rashi adds that it's something that's not attached to the beggar, and therefore it's not considered to be a yad to the beggar, like the yad of the kli that we saw above, or something that's functional for an individual, because it's standalone, and it works into the belt or loops into the belt, independent of the baggage, because it can be attached or detached from the baggage. If that's the case, you have different types of rings, even by human beings. The ones that they wear are tmeim. The ones that they use in their clothing are torim. So, v'lo amru because the one on the finger, or the one that is jewelry, that's the one that's problematic in terms of tumah. So there is a distinction, even in the world of human beings, between different types of rings for tumah. Is that a ring that goes on your finger, jewelry rings, there's no distinction within the world of tumah, that's what he was speaking about. Once again, even rings that are jewelry, that are put on a finger, there's no distinction within the world of tumah, for human beings, vatanan, tabad shel matechet v'chotmah shel amog. If you have a metallic ring that has an inlay or a stamp that is made out of either coral, ivy, or something from a cedar tree, eights, then tmeyahi, because the main part of the ring is metallic, and therefore it's mikabal tumah. Now, shel amog, if it is made out of almog, and Rashi over here calls it eights, that it's wood, so that would be, according to that opinion, that thinks it comes from the cedar tree, the chotmah matachet, and the signet stamp is made out of metal, tehorah. Because there the main part of the ring is something that's not mikabal tumah, which is wood. Now even though, as Tosva points out, it does have a bait kibul in it, it has a receptacle in it, into which the stamp or the signet is placed, nevertheless, that's not considered to be a bait kibul, because it's a bait kibul that is made to be filled. And since it's a bait kibul receptacle that's filled, we don't consider it to be a bait kibul, and this becomes pshute kliates, therefore it's Torah. So you see that even within rings, there's a distinction made by the material, whether it's metal or whether it's wood. So kiyamakihu, the question posed by this individual from the Galeo, is kula shomatechet kamarle. He said it was a metallic ring worn by a human being, and there's some sort of distinction, to which Rabbi Lazar says, within Tumah, there is no such distinction. But there is a distinction with regards to this in Shabbat, which we will see in the upcoming parak, whether a ring has a stamp on it or doesn't have a stamp on it. And the distinction being that by a ring that has an insignia or a chutam, is considered to be a business item and not decorative in nature. Therefore, if you took it out on Shabbat, you'd be chayab for carrying other than a ring without an insignia, without a chutam in it, would be fine to wear midoraita on Shabbat. The chamim restricted it because people tend to take them off and show them or carry them, and that would be a problem of doraita. So in order to prevent that, they don't let you wear the ring even without an insignia on it. But there, there is such a distinction within the world of Shabbat between a ring with an insignia and a ring without an insignia. That's why Rabbi Lazar said that the distinction must be in the dinim of Shabbat, and not in the dinim of Tumah. Ba'od Shal, and he asked another question, Shamati Shechokim ben Machat the Machat, and heard there was a distinction with types of needles, and Amalei Shemalo Shemata Linyan Shabbat. Once again, maybe that distinction is in the world of Shabbat. Dilinyan Tumah, Davadachati. Because in the world of Tumah, there is no distinction between different types of needles. Gemara challenges that again and says, Dilinyan Tumah, Davadachati. It's really true that within the world of Tumah, all needles are the same. Vatanan. Don't we have a Mishnah? Machat shinital chora oksa. You have a needle whose hole or the eye of the needle has been destroyed. Or the sharp point of the needle has been destroyed. Tehora. Because it's no longer functional as a weaving needle like it was before. And so you see there is a distinction within the world of Tumah. Ki kamerlei bishlema. He's talking about a whole needle. A needle that's intact. And there there's no distinction. Is that true within the world of needles if it's all intact? Meaning the point is there and the hole for threading the, the thread through is also there. But it's not. A needle that has rusted. 
if it causes problems or stops the stitching, Torah vim lav. If not, if it doesn't stop you from stitching, then it's tmeah. That's only if its shape is intact. The Rashi brings two interpretations of that. One is when it is Tmeah, is when it's still structurally intact, even though it's rusty. Or the Rishumani Kar could be modifying the Torah part of it, which is when is it considered to be Torah? That when you stitch with it, it leaves a mark of the rust on that which you're stitching, so you're not going to use it, and that's why it's Torah. So again, Kikamarle Bishifa Kamarle. So it's a case where it's a needle that is clean. Rashi says it's an item either which you put lime on or use a file to clean, and therefore the rust is no longer on it. So when it says Bishifa, even a good whole needle with an eye and with a point on it, and that is not rusty. Is that true that Davida Achati, that they're all considered to be one type of needle? Vatanya, machat ben nukuva, ben ena nukuva, mutar letaltala b'shabbat. You have a needle, whether it has a hole in it, whether it doesn't have a hole in it, it's functional on Shabbat, and therefore it's not muksa, and you can carry it around. That's because it can be used for removing a splinter or a thorn from an individual on Shabbat. And the distinction is in the world of Tumah between whether it has a hole in it or doesn't have a hole in it, because because then it is a fully functional needle, and there it's reached the point of Gemar Malacha, and it's Mikabal Tumah. If it doesn't have a hole in it yet, then it's not reached the final stage of its making, of forming this Kli, and therefore it's not Mikabal Tumah. So there, truth is, so it sounds like just the opposite of what Rabbi Lazar said, that the distinction is in the world of Shabbat and not within the world of Tumah. Here we find there's no distinction by Shabbat. On the other hand, there is a distinction in the world of Tumah. So Gemara says, Hatargama Abaye Alibadarova Bigolme. Abaye answered or tried to explain this on behalf of Rabba that we're speaking about Golme. But later on the Masefta, Baye, in explaining statement made by Rava in a question to Rav Yosef, in defense of Rava, comes to explain the Brighton in the following manner. Speaking about a case here where you're dealing with a raw material, which is that you had, as Rashi describes over here, a string of metal, and you're slicing that string of metal in order to make them into individual needles. And in that case, as long as you haven't put a hole into the needle, that's a situation where it's not mikabel dumkum tumah because there was no gemar malocha. On the other hand, with regards to Shabbat, it's mutar because even if you if you leave it in that state in order to use it to take out a coats, to take out a splinter or a thorn, it would be functional on Shabbat. And in that case, you're right. By tumah, there would be a distinction between nukuva and ain nukuva. By Shabbat, there'd be no distinction. On the other hand, if you're dealing with a product where it, in the end, will never have a hole put in it, and its function is simply as a pin without a hole that's not going to have something threaded through it, then, with regards to Tumah, there is no distinction with regards to that needle, because you've already reached the point of Gemar Malocha, and therefore it's Mikabal Tumah, even if it does not have a hole in it. Whereas with regards to Shabbat, if it's Nukuva, if it has a hole in it, then you're Chayav Chatat for carrying it out. Because it's not considered to be a tachshit, it's considered to be the tool of a craftsman. Whereas if it's in a nikuva, then it can be worn like a brooch or as a pin that women wear as a decorative item. And therefore, it is a tachshit, so it won't be chayav chatat, but may be problematic for other reasons, midir abanan. So that distinction would exist in Shabbat, whether it has a hole or doesn't have a hole. Whereas with regards to tumah, you can have a needle with a hole that's mikabal tumah, and a needle without a hole, which is mikabal tumah as well, when each one of them is the gemar malach, or the final product that's going to remain that way for that needle. Okay, we're going to stop here by the Mishnah on the bottom of Nunbet Amudbet.